uh, setting from Revelation, after then, verse 9 to 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, and no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you. You may be seated. She was bringing her child upstairs. So we appreciate your mumness in that. Um, we're back into the book of Revelation today, and we've been away from it for a couple of months due to the Christmas season and to a couple of topics I, I felt needed to be addressed, but we're back and we'll stay here till it's done. Uh, just to review, in the first message, we saw that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about him, his actions, his identity, his absolute and final victory over sin. And we saw last day, which is the end of October, uh, November, that even though he is the Lamb of God, referring to his sacrifice on the cross, he nevertheless has been given authority by God to wreak the judgment of God on the earth. And so today we'll see a little bit of what that judgment entails. Um, Chapter 6 flows directly out of chapter 5. In fact, chapter 4 through 8 verse 1 is a single unit of text. So John, having seen the Lamb take the scroll of judgment from the hand of God, now sees what happens when he opens it and un unleashes his judgment as the scene unfolds. And so are we. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, and the Lamb opens them one by one, and judgment falls. And it is judgment. This is not just a Lamb getting out of the way while the world falls apart. The right to judge has already been given to him, and 6 verse 16 explicitly says, Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. So what we read here is the wrath of the Lamb, the action of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Now, right away, we're introduced to the so-called four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, who is this? It's not Christ. He is already another player in this drama, and he would not be summoned. But the color white always has to do with Christ or the things of Christ, and certainly so in Revelation. His hair is white like wool, chapter 1. The faithful received a white stone with a new name, chapter 2. Martyrs in white garments, throngs of God's people in white. The Son of Man on a white cloud, Christ and his saints on white horses. And in the final judgment, God seated on a white throne. So white is obviously a good color. I believe, I believe that this is the Christian church spreading the gospel across the world. Jesus told his disciple that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is the first thing we see in the judgments of Revelation. And the bow... And the crown, not a royal crown, but a crown of an athletes in victory. Um, they're both objects, subjects of victory. And the rider on the white horse is bent on conquest. And the gospel, the word of God, will conquer. Listen to this from the book of Acts. The word of God spread, 6 or 7. The word of God continued to increase and spread. The word of the Lord Oh, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And yet the spreading of the word is a judgment. It's a blessing, but it is a judgment. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words I have, I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So the rider, uh, the white horse and this rider are the church spreading the gospel of Christ. Then we open the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. This, too, is the judgment of the one sitting on the throne, unleashed by the Lamb. There are several occasions in the Old Testament where God had men slay one another, the Assyrians, the Midianites. So this is God's judgment. This is not, again, Lamb stepping out of the way, but God actively judging. Uh, the third seal proclaims a famine, but not starvation. Um, a denarius was a day's, day's wage. Now, imagine spending all your wages for a day on a couple of loaves of bread. So this is pretty hard time, but not absolute starvation. The fourth seal is death and Hades. 
Again, this is the judgment of the Lamb. Jesus has already said, I hold the keys of death in Hades. And these have authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. Again, Ezekiel 14, verse 21 says, For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beast, and pestilence, to cut off from it men and beasts. So again, these are the active judgments of God unleashed by the Lamb. I can't say, I can't say that enough because people... In looking at this text, they assume that God is stepping back and that these are the acts of destruction wreaked on the earth. And then God steps back in again. It's not like that. This is God judging the earth. With the opening of the fifth seal, we see the martyrs under the altar. And the picture is that of blood drained or poured out at the base of the altar. Paul said of his impending execution, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And just as Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground, so the blood of the martyrs are crying out to God for justice. But they were given white robes and told to wait. Then from chapter 6, verse 12, all the way to 7, verse 17, is the sixth seal. The separation of the righteous from the wicked. As Psalm 1 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, for, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So Revelation 6, verses 12 and 13, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig trees sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Um, As we move through the book of Revelation, by the way, I'll often quote the Old Testament because Revelation as a book makes inordinate use of the Old Testament. So just for info, so Isaiah 13. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give the light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Ruthless. Now, this part of Revelation is obviously poetic. The stars cannot fall to the earth. The sky cannot be rolled up. But the judgment is for all. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. So no one, no one is exempt. And again, Isaiah, 
People shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. And that's exactly what they do. They hide themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. Now, it's hard to imagine, mental picture, the wrath of a Lamb. But the wrath of God and of the Lamb is a terrible, terrible thing. And I should say, too, that this is not the final judgment. Um, the fourth beast has authority over just a quarter of the earth. But it's begun, like contractions growing in intensity. And sorry, guys, I don't have an illustration for you. But judgment moves toward its final day. Judgment of all the earth, of the world systems, of the beast, of Satan, and even death itself are still coming. But the wrath has begun to be poured out. And who can stand? That's what those who are being judged ask. And that's the question. When the judgment of God and his Christ falls, a judgment with which no one can face, who can stand? And the answer to that question is given in chapter 7. The people of God remain standing. The righteous of Psalm 1. Okay. Further judgment is withheld until the servants of God are sealed. Remember the mark of the beast? Well, the servants of God are also sealed. And the righteous are numbered 144,000 according to the tribes of Israel in verses uh, 4 to 8 of chapter 7. Now, who are these? Actual Israel or the new Israel, the church? I think these are the new Israel. And not just here, but throughout the New Testament for a number of reasons. And I want to park here for a few minutes. The first reason is that God has one people, not two. The, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 say how Israel's, the Jews, called us by Paul, and the Gentiles, you by Paul, you have become not two, but one people, one temple in the Lord. And there's absolutely no room in the New Testament for the belief that God has two sets of people, two distinct, distinct groups, two people that God will treat independently of the end times. If God has plans for Israel, it will not be because there are Jews, but because they are Christians. The second reason has to do with promises to Israel in the Old Testament as yet unfulfilled. Okay? Does not God keep his promises? Well, then he'll keep his promises to the Israelites too. But, for example, his promise to Israel to give them the land forever, then he has already broken. 
For Israel has been out of the land for nearly two times as much as they have been in the land. And God's promises to Israel were always contingent on their, her faithfulness to God and to the covenant. Um, other passages also speak of God promising something forever. Exodus 12, verse 14, the Passover, forever. Exodus 40, verse 15, Aaron's family as priests, forever. 2 Samuel 7, David's dynasty, forever. But all of them were not permanent. Aaron's priesthood was taken away because of sin, 1 Samuel 2. David had no one on the throne from 586 B.C. until Jesus' time. But Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these. He is Christ, our Passover. He is Christ, our priest. He is Christ, the ruling king who rules on David's throne. And it's no accident, I think, that Jesus chose 12 apostles, the number of patriarchs of the tribes of Israel. He's forming a new people for God, a people based not upon ethnicity or lineage, but centered around himself, Jesus Christ. So the third reason is that the New Testament is absolutely clear on this subject, that the church is new Israel. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, that Jewishness is not a matter, again, of ethnicity, but of the heart. Romans 4, Abraham is a father to all who believe. Romans 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Galatians 3, know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Philippians 3, for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus himself take the words that God spoke, spoke to Israel, you shall become to me a kingdom of priests, and applies them to all believers in Revelation chapter 1. He has made them to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. So it seems to me at least an inescapable conclusion that what was Israel in the Old Testament in Christ is now the church. So we need to be careful of claiming instructions or promises to Israel in the Old Testament in applying them to ourselves. It's not always safe to do that. So now to Revelation 7 and the 144,000. This list, too, is not ethnic Israel. Um, the list of tribes is different from any list that appears in the Old Testament. For example, in this passage, Levi, not counted among the geographical tribes, is present. Joseph was not a tribe, but his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh were given kind of his place in the 12. But Joseph is here along with his son, Manasseh. But Ephraim is 
not listed, nor is Dan. So the 12 tribes of Revelation 7 are not the historical tribes of Israel, but representative of the people of God. And 144,000 is the square of 12 times 1,000. That is, the square of God's people times 1,000, or the complete number of God's people. So then, that was a lot. Um, After seeing the crowd from an earthly perspective, i.e. safe from judgment on the earth, then God sees the multitude, John sees the multitude from a heavenly perspective. The multitude from every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white, Jesus' color, and call out with a loud voice that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the angels join in, as they did in chapter 5, verse 11, with a similar refrain, speaking of the, the seven attributes of God. Seven is a pretty important number in Revelation. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And this multitude has come out of the great tribulation. Now, it's unfortunate that Some people translate the Great Tribulation with a capital G and a capital T, a defined time of the defined length. But there's no reason in the text for that. I think it's unfortunate. Um, And these have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is only one way to be clean before God. And that's by the blood of the Lamb, by the death of Jesus Christ. And verses 15 to 17, they will serve God forever, and he will be their God forever. And there are echoes here of Revelation 21 and 22. Tears dried by God, no hunger before the throne of God. And rather than hiding from the Lamb, they stand before the Lamb. They are being led by the Lamb. So who can stand in the day of wrath? The people of God who are being led by the Lamb. And then chapter 8, verse 1. The seventh seal is open. And there is silence in heaven for half an hour. And I'm not sure what this means. Like the rest of God on the seventh day? Or uh, a pregnant pause before the unleashing of the seven trumpets? I'm not sure. And all of this is a judgment of the Lamb, to judge, to redeem, opening the seven seals from the scroll that comes from the hand of God. Now, great, very interesting, Ken. At least I hope you found it interesting. I did. But so what? What does this have to do with Wednesday or next Saturday or for my life in the coming days? Well, if you're looking for a principle to put into practice, I don't think I can help you. Not in terms of, quote, application. Okay, you won't leave church today with a nugget. 
But I trust that this passage, the truth of this passage, will make the, underline, the difference in your life. Remember that those to whom this letter was uh, addressed, the first readers of this letter, were surrounded by the sin and corruption of other so-called Christians. And from outside the church, they were facing persecution and possibly prison or even death. And the basic message of this book is not put these moral practices into play and your life will improve. The Bible is full of that, but it's not here. It's not love your enemies, nothing of that here either. The message is simply be faithful. Be faithful. When it seems like everything is stacked against you, against your faith, be faithful. The Christ, the Lamb, is one under whom all evil will be crushed. Nothing can stand against him. The Lamb whose power we see here is the Lamb who commands our allegiance. The, command, uh, the Lamb who will win and whose victory we will share. The Lamb who will re- reward our obedience to him. But Ken, I need something now. A few years ago, the Encana building was built. It's the tallest building in Calgary, and I think in Alberta. And when you drive toward Calgary, it's the first building you see. But first, a big hole had to be dug. And there were building materials scattered around the building for, what, a year and a half, two Life is like that. It's a big hole. It's a mess. But the building will go up. It's inevitable. And Revelation says, be faithful. When the building is finally completed, be among those who stand and whose robes are washed in the blood of a lamb who praise God and ascribe to him glory and honor and blessing. Because when the time comes, faith shall be sight, and the victory will be yours. When it feels like it would be so much easier to let God go, and those times are there for all of us, be faithful. I have doubts. I doubt sometimes God's own existence but I've learned not to trust my doubts because they invariably come when I've stopped, for whatever reason, reading and praying and stopped pursuing. When those times come, be faithful. When you're tired of doing it on your own, be faithful. When it seems like God has been anything but faithful, trust him and be faithful. When you can't pray because God is silent, talk to him anyway. Be faithful. C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, is a supposed 
correspondence between a senior devil, screw tape, and a junior devil, uh, wormwood. And screw tape writes in one letter, do not be deceived, wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemies, that is God's, and you think of, yeah, that is God's, our enemies will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. When it's hard to stand up for what is right, when it's hard to face that temptation again, when it's hard to be the only believer in your family, when it's just plain hard. Be faithful. And there will come a day, the day of the Lord, when the victory of Christ, a victory that is so hard to see now, that victory will be complete and you will share it. And then God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Every tear of doubt and unbelief, every tear of sickness or death, every tear you, you cried wondering why God didn't show up when you were sure you did the right thing, every tear of betrayal, every tear of pain, every tear you, you have cried for a loved one, child, parent, friend. And until that day, you will not stand alone. We're here to support you, to pray, to be present with you, to be a friend, to cry with you, to encourage you. God will wipe every tear away, and the shepherd will lead you to springs of water. So be faithful. God will help you to stand. And we will help you to stand. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we just want to do a couple of things. One is to acknowledge to you that you don't make things easy for us. And we don't understand why. In conversation this week, somehow faith is important to you. And I don't think anyone's, any of us knows 100% that you are real, that you are good. But please, allow us to believe understand and secondly we we'll, we will stand we choose to stand even though it's hard we will be faithful and third as a church we welcome members into our midst this morning as a church we will help each other be faithful we will be there for each other Remind us of that. To you be all 
praise and glory and wisdom and might and power and blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who makes us pure and holy, in his name we pray. Amen.